if you spend too much time focusing on um, measuring success um, by the amount of money you make, uh, then it could be very dangerous. And then yeah. that's the only thing you care about. But at a certain point when it ceases to make life easier, um, I don't think that's success. I think that's um, success to a fault. It's a detriment. And then it will start taking its toll on your creativity and, you know, on your relationships and things. So I think success is uh, how you make people feel, how you inspire people and how, um, how you've mastered your craft. Do you want to learn how to make money as an artist without selling out? Hey, I'm Erin Sparler, and each week, my guests and I share the secrets for turning your art into income. If you're ready to start making money with your art, visit theartistappeals.com forward slash go. Hey, John, I got six rapid fire questions for you. You ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Guys, meet John, and uh, away we go. What is your number one top-selling piece of art, product, style, or theme? What is the one thing, the one piece that you got to take to the shows with you? That would be the uh, the Pantocrator painting. It looks like a Greek icon. It's a, it's a giant um, sort of warrior king with a sword. Why do you think that is? Why is it that one piece? I painted that a long time ago when I was coming up with something that was uh, sort of a main character for my story uh, before I even wrote it. And um, then like the Viking show started to come out and um, Game of Thrones and um, people like watch those shows. And um, I guess this is partly the reason. And they saw that you know, this, this character had like similar armor to the people on the mm. show. And I had painted it way before I even knew what, who George Martin was and way before Vikings became cool again. Yeah. Um, not to be one of those guys who says, you know, I liked it before it was cool, but um, <laughs> I just wanted well, to paint did. something that was meaningful <laughs> to me. And that was really fun. And just, I, I love painting um, medieval characters and, and then people really liked it because I just got lucky that happened to become more and more popular, that aesthetic and that kind of character. And they really right. liked the, the, um, the symbolism. Very cool. And, like and it's continued space. to be popular. Yeah. Very neat. Okay. Number two, what is the one thing you love to do? What is the one thing you love to create, make, or do? Uh, being a creative, being an artist, and creating a world and, and a whole IP. What is the one thing, though, that really lights your fire when you love to do? I love making myths. Mm. And then, um, I like writing them as much as illustrating them, but sometimes I get through, I try to get through the writing so I can get to um, illustrating because that's kind of the fun part for me. Writing is mm. tough. Writing is more of the work part, mm. even though it's, it's, I think they're just as fulfilling. Right. Um, I love making mythological monsters and characters and uh, really powerful, fun, but powerful stories. Yeah. So do you have more myths than Astro Mythos? Mm-hmm. I have, Ooh. Um, almost a hundred different stories and uh, there's only 10 per book and there's only, you know, there's, like there's only 10 in this one. Okay. Um, and I'm, I have two chapters left or I call them myths to the second one. There's 10 more in that one. And then um, there's some side stories and other content and other mythological, you know, storytelling content in my other books. Like uh, I'm, I'm doing a book, an RPG version of my world a book for um, hit point press. Ooh, do tell what is an RGB did I say that right? Um, <laughs> a role-playing game. Yeah. Oh, so you're table, building tabletop. a role-playing game to go mm -hmm. with it. So tabletop wow. role-playing game based on the lore. Oh, that's so going to be live the mythology. And so it's going to be published, right? Um, well, yeah, that's the goal. It's going to launch in um, March. Ooh, press is promoting it. And, um, you know, they're going to be my potential publisher. Depends on how well it does on Kickstarter, but um, my editor is Critical Crafting. Okay. Uh, um, his name is Dylan. And yeah, it's turning out to be re really great. I've already sculpted a, a, a little monster miniature for it. And uh, there's a preview, there's a free preview um, with a couple, a couple characters and some maps and things um, that you can order through Hitpoint Press on their website. Oh, like excellent. We're going to link to that, guys. Go check it out. And 
be one of the first ones to get to see this new world game coming out. It's going to be awesome, right? There's, uh, it's very different. The tone's very different than the mythology books, which read much like the Odyssey or, or you know, like remember the Ancient Mariner, some sort right. of old world tale. But of course, you have to change it for the for the gamers, right? In the gaming mm-hmm. world. And I, I play myself. I play myself. I play a bunch of, you know, board games and tabletop games. So it's it's it was a really fun project for me. Oh, so cool! That is going to be so cool. Okay, okay. Number three is the opposite. What is the one thing you hate? to do that you just dread and put off what is one thing as a creative you just hate (laughs) you just can't stand i hate social media (laughs) (laughs) oh i hear you on that one believe it or not i hear you um i rather i i should rephrase that i hate using social media to um promote my own products and and um, going on social media to post um, I use social media for other reasons, but um, just the stress and then, you know, the anticipation, the anxiety of social media is, is really tough. But I know, don't get me wrong, it's a great marketing tool. It's just, it's not as fun as drawing for me <laughs> or writing, you know, just like any other artist, the business aspect is 50% of the whole, you know, the whole picture, the whole career. Yeah. And that's a big part of it that I'm, I was never good at. I'm not good at taking videos. I'm not good at like, you know, posting things and, and saying things about my, my work. It's just, it always felt foreign to me. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I get you. It is. And I hard. even teach how to do it. I just, I just don't like it. No. <laughs> I think that is gonna, I think a lot of people feel that way. It's just, it's very challenging and then you got the trolls and people that are just mean online. They say things that they never would elsewhere. So that's always a challenge. That's that's part of it. It's a big part of it that turns me off. That's just, yeah, it's terrible the things people say. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. Okay, number uh, four is what is the funniest or weirdest experience you've had as an artist? Funniest or weirdest experience? That's a tough one. There's a lot of, there's a lot of them. Funniest or weirdest? I mean, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you one. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Don Mate shared on the podcast that he was going to uh, present his work, his oil paintings of Captain Morgan in New York City. And he had them on the top of his car and they were still wet from being up working late the night before. And he drove off and they flew off the car and landed upside down on the road in the gravel and the salt and the snow. And he was just like telling how it was so horrific. Have you ever ruined a piece or um, dropped a piece or, or something like that? Yeah. Many times that made me think of a couple times, my dog ran on my piece and it was a suede mat. So he ruined it right before I was about to drive away to go to a show. Oh, at no. um, I, I did Gen Con by myself one year and I dropped one of my paintings and it broke when I was packing my car, um, I, hung, I hung a painting uh, way, way back at a show and it, it felt like it was on the hook. Right. But it was resting on um, like maybe the back of the frame and not the hook. And if, and, and I walked away and it fell and it broke the mat and I had to spend a hundred bucks to repair it. That's, that's why I do my own frames and mats now to save money and things like that. So oh, a lot really? of people got damaged. Yeah. But yeah. when I'm just preparing them to put, to put the painting in the frame, Mm-hmm. like soft part of the painting or you know <laughs> yeah really bad stuff <laughs> oh geez that sucks well it's a learning lesson right so even the best of us we make mistakes and we have weird experiences right and it, yeah even when i'm painting something um before it's even done uh, sometimes um, paint will get on it or like some ink will spill on it and i'll have to find a way to fix it so I'll put something in the foreground to cover it and just, you know, pretend it never happened. <laughs> no happy accidents for you. Not like Bob. Happy little tree. Happy oh, little accident. Yeah. <laughs> not to <laughs> mention. I wa- actually watched Bob Ross to calm myself down because it's very stressful um, being an artist, as you know. It is. Yeah. Even more stressful. He is so relaxing. I could totally sleep to him. Like Bob is like the man. You can just be like, nighty night, (laughs) right? I have one of these in my office. 
<laughs> oh, you have a Bob in your office. The bobblehead Bob. <laughs> <laughs> He's smiling down from the heavens on you. And, you know, it's kind of funny. You paint a lot of, um, well, with Astro Mythos, you have all these uh, suns and moons and outer space. Do you ever paint a lot of clouds? <laughs> For the second book, the second book, uh, you, it takes you to a planet that's like Earth. So there's waterfalls, there's clouds, and I get to have fun. I get to be Bob Ross. You know, I get to paint trees, and um, I love it. Oh, I can't it's wait fun. to see it. I can't wait to see it. Um, okay, number five. If you were just starting out again today, what's the one most piece of important information you would tell your starting out self? That's a tough one because I did I did everything backwards. Um, did you? I couldn't find work, so I wrote and started illustrating the Astro Mythos, you know, my own story. Um, to just have work and to sell work and to use that in a portfolio to get work. And mm -hmm. now I'm doing the shows and bringing those books um, with something I worked on for free for 20 years. Now I'm getting the freelance jobs. So um, that's what I wanted to do first, but I couldn't. So I had to do it backwards. And now people come to me for, you know, for commissions. I don't know that you necessarily did it backwards if it got you to where you wanted to go. Most people, yeah, I guess some people wouldn't consider that backwards, but I don't know. If that's a weird way to answer that question. <laughs> no, I like it though. I guess my advice would be don't give up. And uh, and this is this might be uh, Chris Burdett talking, but draw more. Now, I always like, um, you know, when I'm talking to him, I see the tattoo on his arm that says draw more um, as a reminder. Oh himself and i feel like that's good advice for everybody even if you're you know chris burdett who's who's worked on like star wars card games and stuff and for dnd &D, he's done all these great um film industry work um even for you know for, for someone who's just starting off draw more um and and don't quit you know just keep making exciting work until someone likes it because yeah. uh, most people think that if they're not getting work um no one likes their work but the, the, the key is to just keep submitting and it has to um, be seen by the right person who appreciates your style. Because I used to think my style wasn't good enough or, or too weird. But then the really? more I wrote it to, uh, the more I found that certain people really, really, really liked it. And they're like, what are you talking about? This is really good. It's just that the style's too strong. So, yeah, I really like, you know, the paintings that you might have seen at these shows. I didn't think it was good. Really? Uh, really takes yeah that's why i say don't quit because it really takes um the right person to tell you how how good to make you feel valued how good your work is oh i saw your work and i i loved it right away it just reminded me of like byzantine iconography from like with the gold leaf and the characters and yet it had that epic mythology feel of tolkien it, it was like this cross between old world Jesus paintings <laughs> and new world fantasy. I love it. I love it. It's beautiful. I think it's fascinating, John, that you share with us that you, you felt that your style wasn't, that people wouldn't like it. That is such great advice. You hear that, guys? Somebody who is so amazing says, you know, I didn't, I wasn't. <laughs> thank right. you for sharing seriously thank you for sharing number six why do you think that some work hits and some work doesn't now this is a big philosophical question but i think everybody wants to know like what is it that makes a piece hit do you have any that's <laughs> answers to that <laughs> the, the, we all want to there's so many different answers. I mean, I, you could start with the, um, like how the marketability, you know, is it, is it marketable? Is it um, like trending? Like I was saying before, are there like shows and books out that have um, something similar or similar characters or aesthetics um, that people get really excited about? Because if, you know, if someone likes watching a show and then they see one of your paintings and it reminds them of a character in that show that they really love, they're going to want to buy your piece or get a print of it. Someone likes Lord of the Rings. Like I have a piece that looks like the tree ants. 
um, even though they're different characters, people still love that piece because it um, reminds them of their favorite book. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I think, when a piece really hits. But you have to be careful about that because, you know, you can't make your work too derivative. Otherwise, you don't stand out artistically. Otherwise, I think a piece really hits if it's, um, like I was saying before, uh, powerful. It can have yeah. like wow factor and it can look really good and it could be the best, technically the best painting ever um, with like perfect anatomy. But if it doesn't like speak to someone on, on a higher level or in a profound way, then it, it doesn't hit as hard. It doesn't, you know, appeal as hard to someone Yeah, yeah. as well. And now you're on the appeals, <laughs> the artist appeals. Do you want to get everything you need, all the information, all the tips, tricks, stories, all in one place so you can just focus on doing what you love, creating? Well, now you can. You can get an instant copy of the new book, The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps. That's right. Get the new book, The Artist Appeals, plus three free bonuses at How to Make Money as an artist.com. So cool. Awesome. That was our rapid fire, six rapid fire questions. Let's get into the meat of the thing. So tell us about your latest projects because we always kind of start with art, but you were on early on in the podcast before we had visuals when it was just audio. So if you guys haven't seen that episode, you can't because there's no visuals, but go back and watch it or listen to it uh, because John gave us some really, really awesome advice on commission processes. Um, but now you've got so much more going on. So tell us a little bit about, like you mentioned earlier, derivatives and, and your working process. So tell us about what you got going on now and these new derivatives that you're creating of Astro Mythos. So, um, I was saying a little earlier that um, I'm on the second to last chapter of my second book, which is the sequel to the first one, which introduces humans. And it, you know, really communicates the, how humans interact with stars and um, the stars kind of become like a pantheon to, to the okay. human world. And then um, I took, I took from that lore and from that canon and made a, um, 5e compatible tabletop rpg um role player game Woo! game yeah with you know with dice and with miniatures and things like that uh basically a comp uh, a fancy board game right yeah that's being edited it's in front of the final draft it's going to launch in march i made it because people kept asking about it and they said you know this would be a really great uh game like a video game or a tabletop game and i love tabletop games i'm a i'm a you know game game master they call it myself like I play you dungeon master in D and D. Yep. <laughs> so right, a, do you play magic too? No, I had to pick one because I don't have time. I barely <laughs> have time to you know get get a group together to play D and D. But people said you know this would make a great game, and so I started working on some um, you know some statistics for my characters and and some maps and things and um, mm -hmm. putting uh, putting together a story that's based on the book I'm working on now and mm -hmm. you know. Soon, sure enough, I, I I got a book together and um, it's being promoted now and it's it's looking really good. And I made a miniature for it. I sculpted this big two-headed monster and um, it's it's very mythological, of course. My my favorite subject. And you know, I'm working on that. I'm teaching and um, I just got hired by Hasbro, so I'm, I'm what? mission. That's uh, really cool. I mean, John, you're creating. And IP. Let's talk about IP for just a little bit. And I want to hear more about Hasbro too. I want to hear about what you're doing for them. So what is an IP and how did you come up with this whole, it seems to me like you're sharing that one thing led to another and that you, um, you said earlier that you started working on something that was a personal project Right. And then it sort of evolved and led you to different spaces. And you heard people saying that it would make a really cool game. But mm -hmm. can you talk just a little bit about world building? Because I think some people want to do that. That's uh, something I teach here. You know, I'm at my office um, at the university, you know, in New Haven. And 
I teach world building for writers. Uh, it's, a, it's an honors class and an English class. And I teach world building for illustrators, two different classes. Cool. And I'm thinking if I ever stop teaching, potentially next year, I, I will put together a world building academy um, through through Patreon or some Yay. sort of Discord platform a whole year for anyone. You know, I, I, I was approached at Gen Con by uh, Draco Studios and they, they keep asking me about online classes. I'm like, I, I can't, it's conflict of interest. I can't do it when I'm teaching full-time here. So that's that's um, on the horizon. But to answer your question, that's a that's a meaty subject. You know, I have it is. a whole year's worth of content um, for world building. And sometimes I try to just cram it into a one-hour lecture. I did one at FerryCon um, a month or so ago. It's a lot of information to cram into just maybe one hour or something. It's a whole year's worth of um, you know college content and academic, wow. like, a, like a master class, really. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to build a world, what would you say would be the first stepping stone, the first piece? Is it to come up with this massive idea or is it to just create a central character and get started? Um, everyone needs a spark. I call it the golden okay. thread. You know, for Tolkien, it was uh, a line he wrote on the back of one of his um, students' exams that he was correcting in a holder of the Hobbit, right? Um, and that's what—that's the how this Hobbit started. Really, one line. Yeah, that, that's that's well, how. What was the line? Do you know? Do you remember? It, it was in a holder of the Hobbit, and it was on the back of one of his uh, students' exams that he was correcting, and he was just you know doing a doodle break, as I call it, in my drawing class, uh, stream of consciousness. And then he started writing about something called a hobbit who lived in a hole and he made the whole house. And then it just, you know, unfurled from there, it snowballed. Um, so I think, you know, you need to find that spark that really excites you. Like that really, and for me, I think um, it's something that makes you feel like you're a kid again. Because when you're a kid, everything was really cool and everything was awesome and awe-inspiring. And um, it was the first time you saw everything. When you're an adult, you feel like, you know, oh, I've seen everything. And I wish I felt like I was a kid again on Christmas morning or something like that. Yeah. And, and it's that feeling. Um, for me, it was at the Boston Science Museum seeing um, the Horsehead Nebula. But it personally looked like uh, someone walking in space that was made of stardust or star stuff. And I thought, why not make characters that um, are anthropomorphized or personified stars tell their story? And then... Um, you talk about humans in the second book and how humans are made of star stuff and how, you know, their destinies are intertwined. That was really my in a holder live the Hobbit moment. And I think everyone needs that. That's what you call the golden thread. So for me, it's the stars, you know, the stars are the, um, that's the common thread of the story. Everything comes back to space and the stars and, right. uh, you know, the, the, the features of stars and how that you could kind of um, turn that into like, you know, a human uh, interaction or something that, that, that people do. Like uh, binary stars or black hole stars or you know brown dwarf stars or or pulsars or magnetars is magnetized or, or gravitates towards something. The black hole is is like selfish and everything you know sucks everything in and is all devouring. The binary stars are lovers and so on. Um, that is simple. Tolkien, it's it you know the hobbits were the common thread. This this little character in a in a big wide world, a milieu story. The the fact that even a, the, a small you know, character or person or creature can change the world or make a difference. Right. So I always came back to the little hobbit. Right. Mm. And that was so really one feels like they're, you know, this, this little person in this giant world. <clears throat> you said you guys take doodle breaks in your class. Yeah. I uh, like that bit of advice. It's almost like to reframe, you're saying that this golden thread is almost the golden compass that will lead you through a world building project. Like and that to find it, you have to doodle and you have to explore. Like you said, yours was at the museum. So guys go to museums, draw more, doodle more, feel like a kid. That's my takeaway. Find your sanctuary where the whole world just melts away and it's, it's all about you and you can really connect with your highest self. That's where you find your best ideas and you get to know yourself. Um, it, it's like a cathartic process. You get to know yourself better by doing so. 
You know, I think that that's a lot of people talk about flow state now. And for a lot of us artists, I think that moment when you lose track of time, that flow state, that is why we do it. It's it's euphoric, if you will. Would you like to get everything all in one place? If you don't have hours and hours to listen to every single episode of the podcast, well, guess what? I've done it for you. We took the first two seasons of the podcast, had everything transcribed and pulled out the best tips, the best tricks, the best stories from the artists, as well as the step-by-step commission processes and put them in a gorgeously formatted book with over 200 color pictures and examples. So if you're visual, this is the book for you. The Artist Appeals is instantly available how to make money as an artist.com. Plus, for a limited time, you get three free bonuses that go with that. You'll get not only the book, but you'll also get the one page planner that brings it all together in one place, the Artist Appeals workbook that has over 80 pages of checklists and worksheets, plus, you get the Artist Appeals online course, which has over 55 more different lessons and I'm adding more every day. So you get the latest, greatest information and resources out there. You can get your copy of The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps instantly by going to howtomakemoneyasanartist.com. Very cool. So your golden thread led you to a series of products and projects being the first book, now the second book. When does the second book come out? Um, well, since I'm doing this like intermittent project, they put a, it put that on hold. So maybe a couple of years. <sighs> Darn Just... it. I want that one. <laughs> uh, don't <laughs> worry. It's, it's almost, I've already done half the illustrations. There's two more chapters, but I'm still following that thread. You know, I say thread because it's like the labyrinth. You know, that's how... Um, you know, Theseus navigated the Minotaur's labyrinth by rolling out the, the thread and finding you can find your way back with the thread. I didn't know it that. Connects all the corridors of uh, in your mind. You know, it connects all your ideas. It connects all your you know, little sparks and neurons, and you have to you have to hold the thread. You can't snap the thread or cut the thread. Otherwise, your story doesn't have a cohesive theme or motif. Mm. And a and, thread's a lot more permanent than breadcrumbs, so that's good. Yeah, the birds will come and eat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, tell me about Hasbro. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. What are you doing with them? Or is it non-disclosure? Can we talk about that? We can't talk about that. Yeah, I don't even know <laughs> if I can mention that I work for them. I know I can't post it on social media, but um, yeah. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, that's all right. I think it's fine. I, I think it just anywhere in writing or using their logo, you can't you can't talk about it. You can't talk about what project you're working on. Um, all I can say is it's um, Hasbro's Avalon Hill. That's it. Well, guys, there oh. you heard it first. A little a little sneak snippet. So you'll have to come back once it's official, official, and we can talk about it and tell us more, right? I always wanted to. What I can tell you that would be great. Yeah, I would. I would definitely be happy to come back if you'd have me. I would Always? Be, yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> I can tell you that I wanted to work for Hasbro for a long time because I grew up with Transformers and G.I. Joes, and, you know, I still have some of them in my basement, and uh, they make me Believe happy. Believe it or not, I watch G.I. Joe every morning over breakfast, Just, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> love that show. I used to, I've seen those. Yeah, that's that's hilarious that you used to watch it. Um one of the illustrators at LuxCon actually uh, became an illustrator because of the G.I. Joe package art, because of all the characters and the explosions and things. She was a graphic designer at Hasbro. Um, but anyway, um, Hasbro bought uh, Wizards of the Coast. So it was my dream to always get a job with Hasbro and work on D&D. And, so uh, how did you get hooked up with them? <laughs> Can you share with us how you've made these connections? I think that is a really valuable piece of information that people would really love to know. So you've created this world and you've really given us this wonderful imagery and metaphor of the thread. Now, how do you get that thread out there? Once you've found your labyrinth and found your thing, how have you made these connections? 
like, can you share with us a little bit some of the things that have worked best for you for connecting and getting your work out there? Um, so this sort of goes back to what I was saying before uh, earlier. I guess you it's not really backwards, but to me, it, it feels backwards because um, I didn't start as a freelancer. I, I made my book and, and worked on my own project in order to make a bigger portfolio and to get you know eyes on it and collectors and then eventually some freelance work. That took a while, but um, it's you know because of among other reasons, I couldn't get a job working for Wizards of the Coast or working for like a, a Avalon Hill or Fantasy Flight Games or something. Yeah, it's like. very elite. It was really hard. You know, they were like a couple of my characters, but some said my style was too strong. Some said they were looking for something else. So um, I actually applied many times uh, to work on D&D or Magic the Gathering. At the time, I w- I also played Magic the Gathering and I didn't get it. So I said, you know, I'm just going to make my own characters and try to make something that stands out. And um, <clears throat> I kept working and working. And then I started to um, hear from small game, co- small time game companies, small press publishers and you know, game companies that, that I've heard of. And I owned I owned some of their games. And then eventually um, last year at Gen Con, uh, someone from uh, no, Rob, Rob of um, Avalon Hill, Hasbro's Avalon Hill came over and he saw my work and he said, this looks great. And, um, I'd love for you to do some work for us. And he just gave me his card. And I emailed him when I got back and um, I'm on Hasbro's, you know, payroll now. <laughs> That's awesome. How many conferences do you do a year? And what are your favorite conferences for connecting and networking with people? My favorite is Gen Con. Because I'm a hardcore gamer and nerd, I always have been since I was like six years old with Warhammer, yeah. our Hero Quest, and um, then AlexCon, you know, Fairy Where Con. we met, guys, AlexCon, right in my backyard in Reading. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, very convenient. I'm jealous. <laughs> and uh, other shows like FairyCon, which I call FraudCon because it was you know created mostly for Brian and Wendy Froud, um, and and their fans and and yeah. artists. And, you know, some other shows, like I'm, I'm applying to Dragon Con this year. I just got into Kineticon, which is, you know, right in my neighborhood, backyard. But um, I think, like, every great. state has a con now, doesn't they? I mean, I went to Awesome Con in D.C. recently. I think there's like a con in every major city now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's right. awesome Fantasy Con. Yeah. Boss well, Con. That's really- that's really cool. But have you found those to be really rewarding with making connections, really good for networking? Even if you don't go, uh, do well one year, you have your, your artist alley booth or your art show booth and you don't sell much. Um, you always get some leads as someone who comes over and gives you their card and wants to work with you. Um, so, you know, that's sort of something to look forward to after the show. If you do, you don't do well uh, sales wise. So it's right. great networking. You you also make a lot of friends there who you can just you know see every year and and look forward to to seeing them all year. Um, and or you know you make connections through those friends. Yeah. So, yeah, you know it's really great to hear their stories and to have breakfast with them and to go out to dinners with them after the show and after you sit stand all day selling your work and. Yeah, have hibachi, get food yeah. thrown at you. Yeah, a little <laughs> And that's so- how students find work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great for students to go to or aspiring oh. illustrators. I think so too. So we've talked a little bit about art. We've talked a little bit about product, which is your books and stuff like that and presentation. And you're an educator full time at um, University of New Haven, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm right um, how do you find that teaching ties in? Do you I always felt as a teacher that teaching taught me almost more than it taught the students. Like I learned probably twice what they did every time I taught a class. Um, how do you feel teaching has influenced your work? And, and I feel the same way that you, you learn just as much from the students as they learn from you because you have to, sometimes you have to run a demo and you have to learn how to do a certain thing that you didn't know how to do prior to that semester um I learned a lot of different the reason I use so many different mediums is because I had to teach the entire program here I had to teach illustration one two three senior portfolio digital yeah. you know world building concept art 
So I had to learn how to do all these different things. I'm I'm training to learn how to use Harmony and Storyboard Pro for next semester to teach animation. Oh, cool. So I learned a lot about art and I, I know how um, almost every medium works now. Um, yeah. Everything from airbrush to gold leaf to oil to uh, acrylic wash and the combining all those mediums in a seamless way. So um, then there's the connections. You have connections with the other professors and um, you know, there's people, uh, there's artists who come in um, to show in, in your gallery space at school who you meet and, you know, you share ideas with them. You get connections through them as well. And yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's grant opportunities and, um, you know, opportunities to just make some you know, money on the side while you work on your, um, yeah. your vision or your IP. Yeah. You know, part of the reason I bring it up is because I said in the artist appeals book that I think one of the steps I found and one of the common threads in all these interviews is that so many of the artists I've interviewed, they teach not just as college professors, because not everybody is going to be a college professor. That's a lot of time. And those are, you know, coveted positions. But so many of the artists I met and have talked to, they teach workshops at local art, mm-hmm. art uh, organizations, or they teach at craft shows and fairs. They put on live demos. I've met people that do virtual teaching. Um, and many, many, many of the artists that have been on the show, like I think 70% have books and they could be just like coloring books or uh, kids art books, or they can be as complicated as how to draw a face or how to draw perspective. So I just bring it up because it seems to be a common thread that, you know, it really helps us network and helps us grow. Right. It does. Absolutely. And so illustrators are teaching one way or another, if they're not doing it in a classroom or in a workshop, they're doing it online with their videos. Right. Something that's really important that artists are willing to to share their secrets and and to teach, even though they they've never, you know, stepped foot in a classroom um, after graduating college or, or, you know, getting their master's degree. Um, Every artist should be teaching and showing aspiring artists how to do it like on YouTube or something. Right. Even if it's in the comfort of their own home, they're still doing it. Yeah. You know, where can we you mentioned that you teach sometimes that you'll try and crunch an hour in and you said you've got um, a year long program that you're working on. Tell us where we could get in linked up with you and take something, learn something from you. Is there any resources you'd like to tell us about? I want to come take your world building class. That sounds epic. Yeah. um I haven't put it together yet. Um, I put the um, like the package together yet, but I have all the information, all the lectures, um, all the actual course content. I just have to put it somewhere where it's accessible to people online. Um, but I have to wait until, of course, after the spring semester is over. And I have um, a mailing list through my website and a QR code. Awesome. What's your website so that people can go get your uh, join your newsletter? So that when that course is ready in the spring, they can get notified. Do do tell. Uh, so it's www.astromythos.com. It's okay. Join the newsletter. <laughs> Very good. Mm-hmm. Hey, you wanted to share some pictures with us, right? That's right. Share some visuals. Let's see it. So Let's see the inside of that book. Let's see some of this gorgeous art. If I may, I'm going to share a screen. This is the, the pamphlet for the uh, the book that's launching in March. Okay. So Beautiful. Just some previews of some of the pages with the character stats and the character illustrations, some quotes. And um, Ooh, what is that? Spider webs and some, this is one of my living volcanoes. Um, we've already fought oh, that. And uh, there are also characters from the from book two, so it's it's interesting, you know, to actually be able to to immerse yourself and be able to play as these characters or fight against these characters. So just some previews of of the many characters and and you know objects and mythological artifacts and things that are going to be in the book, and some maps and um, yeah, that gives Beautiful. you a feel for it. 
That's going to be about 100 pages, uh, fully illustrated. Five, five chapter adventure. Neat. So how long would it take to play? <clears throat> well, you typically, um, for this kind of game, you meet, um, you know, maybe once a week or twice a week. Uh, we meet once a month because I'm so busy. And you play for a few hours um, every session. It takes like eight to 10 sessions um, for the five chapters. So you play, um, you know, if you play every week, you play for like a, um, a couple months. If you play every month, you play for maybe like six or seven months, maybe eight. So, yeah. Very fun. I love it. A, um, there's the QR code and the, yeah, the details. Excellent. And we'll make sure to include that, guys. So make sure to um, scan the QR code or click on the link and join. Last but not least, well, actually, it's not quite last. Let's talk a little bit about licensing and contracts, because I always like to share a little bit of information about licensing and contracts, if we can, because it's like this secret club <laughs> that nobody tells you about in, in school. They don't talk about, oh, did you know you can license your work? What? Right. Um, so can we talk about that? Yeah, we talked about that last year. Um, that was one of the many topics we covered in Senior Portfolio, which is a two-part course for our seniors in illustration here. Fantastic. And, uh, I'm so glad you included that. Licensing. Um, I don't know where, where to begin, right? <laughs> um, well, maybe we just begin with the simple stuff and the fact that it allows you to have your artwork reproduced on products and earn royalties, right? Mm -hmm. what would you add to that um so you need to be careful about that because um you always want to ask for an advance which is payment up front um on anything that's coming you know coming from the the, the licensee you know you're the licensor because you're licensing work to a company right okay. so um then when you get an advance and you're happy with it, then you can start talking about royalties and how much you're going to get every time um, a piece of your artwork is put on something and sold, like a mug or a cur shower curtain or a towel or, you know, tapestry or something. Yeah. So you really have to know what's fair for you and fair for them in terms of like royalty ranges. Right. And then, mm -hmm. of course, make sure you get something up front, because if you're not, then that's, you know, if you get more of an advance up front, that means you're going to get you know, less royalties. If you get a little advance, that means your royalties are usually going to be bigger, but it depends on the company, right? So that's really important. So something that people don't really know when they get into licensing. And you have to um, check to see if the company's uh, a legitimate company before they start licensing your products and that you have, um, you still have the rights to the artwork and the imagery because they might, so steal, you might steal your your property, your intellectual property. Ooh, um, bad news. So you can protect that with an LLC, um, which is basically, it's, it's a lot like um, the uh, protection, like attorney-wise, lawyer-wise, that a big company has, but it's certain. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's a little better than a Schedule C, which is just a, you know something in your taxes for small business owners, because it mm -hmm. pr actually protects you. And you can um, you know, take legal action if someone steals your work, or if you want to sue someone for something. Interesting. I think you're the first person that's brought up creating an LLC around their IP. <laughs> uh, we've talked about copywriting individual artworks, which can get very expensive because if you're copywriting an individual piece, it's like $30, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you start an LLC? Well, Just you can, a high level overview. You can... Um register your your ip like like something like astro mythos or lord of the rings uh through the patent and trademark office and that's all pretty expensive last time i did it was like 500 dollars. wow but then that means no one can steal your name and use it on on books right and it's cost more the, the more the more products you cover like video games and, and music and this and that was that more of a trademark so you trademarked astro mythos yeah okay. so it has a little r next to it Yep. 
Yep. So anything pertaining to Astro Mythos would be trademarked and then you can protect it. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Awesome. Now, do you copyright the individual pieces or do you, you can't with that many, right? I mean, it'd be thousands. There's like, yeah, I have like thousands of pieces now. There's over a hundred per book. Right. And then the the book is protected. The copyright of the book is is the book is copyrighted though, right? And you can um you can put inside inside the front cover, you can write um this is a form of copyright, I guess. Um you can put um all characters and settings and names um are copyright, you know, so and so in um when you open the book in the credits. Yeah, yeah. You know, some legal protection. Yeah. Well, guys, for uh licensing and contract terms, another really good tip is get a good lawyer. And that's one of the things you can do at these conferences is make connections with really good attorneys as well. I know that um, Seth goes to AluxCon and then um, Tammy, one of the very prominent copyright attorneys, she always goes to um, the surface trade uh, conferences and stuff like that. So, yeah, Seth is really good. (laughs) Yeah. Good lawyer, guys. Get a good lawyer that understands copyright, trademark, all that good stuff. All right. Well, S, finally, S for success. How do you measure success and how do you celebrate it? Because I think as artists, sometimes we just go and go and go and we don't stop to celebrate our success. So how do you measure it? How do you say, yeah? It depends on the person. Me personally, I think success is a measure of how you make people feel how you inspire people. Um, personally, I don't think success is always, and but you know, it really helps. Success isn't always uh, making a ton of money. As the more money you make, the more problems you have. And um, the less time you have in my experience with, with your friends and family and even with your fans, because you're too busy to answer them on social media. You can't, you know, communicate with them. You know, like Plato said, um, the more, you know, a friend to all is a friend to none, right? Mm. If, you, if you spend too much time focusing on um, measuring success um, by the amount of money you make, uh, then it could be very dangerous. And then yeah. that's the only thing you care about. Yeah. Um, so and I'm talking about like a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. A I, bit of money would be nice. <laughs> It's, it's great. You know, everybody needs it. It makes life easier. But at a certain point when it ceases to make life easier, um, I don't think that's success. I think that's um, success to a fault. It's a detriment. And then it will start taking its toll on your creativity and, you know, on your relationships and things. So I think success is uh, how you make people feel, how you inspire people and how, um, how you've mastered your craft. Mm, I like that. How you've mastered your craft. Because at the end of the day, you take money with you. You know, it's um, what you, what, what, you know, continues to exist after you pass is, is how you've changed people's lives and how you've made a difference. And, you know, that money's not coming with you. You can't control how it's going to be distributed after you're, you're gone. Yeah. Um, but you can know and, and rest assured that, you've helped people and you've made a difference and you made people feel good and you inspired them. Yeah. And that, you know, you've mastered, you mastered a craft and you would be remembered for that. You won't just be making a lot of money and, you know, building a corporation or something like that. Yeah. I think for me personally, when I get a project done, like when I got the book finally finished and I had it in my hand, that was a really amazing feeling of success. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel that way with Astro Mythos? Absolutely. After 20 years of working on it and trying five years of looking for a publisher, and it took me five years to write and illustrate it before that. Um, I agree. Yeah. When I had that book in my hand, you know, when I finally got, even when I just got the, the proof from, from China, um, I felt really accomplished because I had been working on it for almost my whole life. And that's all I knew. And that's all I was doing all the time. All I was thinking about. So to see the final product is is a sign of success, and and it's great because it in, encourages you to keep going and make keep making great fun things that inspire people, that yeah. people are reading. 
Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you. So that is about it. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience, John? I think that's about it. If um, anyone in the audience uh, really liked what they heard, um, you can log on to my website, astromythos.com. And on the contact page, you can sign up for the mailing list or just you know check out my work and um, yeah. maybe even pick up a book. But uh, yeah. Do you still have copies of Astromythos, the first one? Any signed copies left? Um, no, but I can sign it if if I get a you know request for it. <laughs> right. I have a signed copy, guys. It's gorgeous. The gold inlay on the front. Show us the book again. Oh, this is the standard copy. Yeah, it's beautiful. Shininess so and the gold, but it's the same interior. Yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, you know what? We didn't go over how to pronounce your name like we did in the first episode. <laughs> That's a tough Maybe one. Maybe we should tell people how to say your last name. Okay. It's it's easier to remember if um, you use this this little breakdown that I invented because no one can ever pronounce my name. So sea, like the ocean. Dairy, like milk. Sea, dairy. Ah, like A-H. And ah. this. C dairy da this. C airy da is. Sideriatis. Sideriatis. There you have it, guys. John Sidiaris. Did I get it right? Close enough. Yeah, it sounds better in Greek. It is Greek, right? Yeah, it's ancient Greek. Are you from there originally? Your family is like. My family's from there, but I'm. I, I was born here. I'm first generation. So I'm Greek American. <laughs> Did I get close? Close. Yeah. That's good enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. We can put that in the outtakes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, I like to go over it and I don't mind making fun of myself. So. Eventually, someday I'm going to put together a, a video of just all the outtakes from um, the episodes where I just flub it or, you know, we say something silly or stupid or whatever. I'd, I want to see that. Definitely. <laughs> you want to see the silly one, the outtakes, right? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Hey, well, John, thank you so much for being on. Oh, no problem. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Take it easy. Hey, thanks for joining us in this week's episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it. And be sure to follow us on your favorite platform so you never miss out on an episode. All right, I'll see you next week. Later.